there's always been a bit of a conflict between the, the people of God and the culture in which they lived. We see this very early on in, in God's Word. God delivers the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage and is taking them to a new land. And along the way, God gives this series of commands to them. And, and the idea of most of them is essentially this. Don't be like the people in the land to which you're going. They were to be different in, in every way in which you could imagine. They were to be different in the fact they worshipped not many gods, but one God in particular, the one true God. And because they worshipped the one true God, they were to be different in their values and priorities, their speech, their attitudes, their actions, their reactions, and their morality. They weren't to make political alliances with the people of the land. They weren't to let their children marry, uh, intermarry with the people of the land. They were to be separate, they were to be distinct, and they were to be different. Now this idea carries over with it when you get into the New Testament. We follow the, the familiar ideas in Romans 12, 2, where we're told not to be conformed to this world. Uh, we see the idea in 1 John 2, 15, where we're told not to love the world nor the things of the world. So God's word makes a, a huge emphasis on, on disciples of Jesus being different in, in, again, every way from the world around them. But despite all God's word says about not loving the world or not being like the world or not embracing the world's values or priorities or attitudes or actions or speech or morality, God's word is clear. We we live here. And so we are to be an influence on the world as we live in the midst of an unbelieving and an impure world. Lots of places show this. But there's one in particular I want us to look at tonight. Turn to, if you had, there was one verse there on your handout, but if you turn in your Bible to, uh, to Jeremiah 29, it's probably a familiar passage, but it's one I, I want us to look at tonight. If you have a, if you have a pew Bible, it's page nine, 596. Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7 says this. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles whom I have sent to exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and fathers, sons and take wives and father sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so they may give birth to sons and daughters and grow in number there and do not decrease. Seek the prosperity of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its prosperity will be your prosperity. Now, what God says to them in this passage is really in many ways incredible considering what's going on. The people of Babylon have conquered Judah at this point and they have swept in. And they have destroyed the land and they have basically left Jerusalem, the capital city, in a pile of burnt ruins. They have leveled the temple of Almighty God. They have taken the, the valuable instruments of worship of God out of the temple, brought them back into the king's palace and into a, probably a shrine to their gods as a way to say the gods of Babylon are greater than the God of Israel. And so they're in this 
exile. They've been taken out of their land, put in another land. They they are in many ways oppressed. It is not a, a place where they are. This is not their home. Right? They are very tied to their land. They are very tied to their country. And all they want is to go home. All they want is to go back to Babylon. They, they, they have come to this land. They have a measure of freedom. They're not allowed to go back, but, but they're living in a community. They're not like imprisoned. right? They don't live in a jail. They live in a village. They're not allowed to leave the village, but they're there. And all they want to do is go home. And so they, at various times, they send word back to the people who are there. Is there a word from God? Has the Lord spoken to, to a prophet there? What, what's the word from God? And what they're wanting to hear is, the Lord is going to end this captivity soon and bring you all back. And there were false prophets who were saying these sorts of things to the people. And, and God tells them not to listen to the false prophets, but to listen to Him instead. And, and what they're to do is settle down and live in the place where Babylon has sent them. They are to build houses. They're going to be there for a while. They're to marry. They're to raise children. They're to have their children get married. They're to have their children raise children and their children's children to get married and raise children. The goal of this is so that while they are in this captivity, they will increase in number and not decrease. They are to be growing and going and be a part of this community to where God has had them sent. But they aren't to be a begrudging part of the community. They aren't to be a constantly griping part of the community. They aren't to be people who hate the community that they're a part of. Rather, they are to seek the good of the place where God has placed them. My Bible, the New American Standard, says seek the prosperity of the land. Now, the word translated as prosperity in my New American Standard is the, the Hebrew word shalom. And this word carries with it more than the idea of prosperity. And, and this is seen in a variety of ways in which it is translated. It is prosperity in the New American Standard. It is peace in the King James, the New King James, the NIV. It is welfare in the English Standard Version. It is peace and prosperity in the New Living Translation. And it is well-being in the Christian Standard Bible. So what does this word mean? Shalom means prosperity. It means well-being. It means peace. It means wholeness. It means health. It means order. And it means harmony. It means all of those things. One of the ways I've heard it explained is shalom is the way God intended things to be. Right? So if this is correct, and from what I understand it is, then when, when God created the world and it was very good, shalom reigned. Right? There was peace. There was prosperity. There was health. There was well-being. There was order and harmony. All of those things. But then sin entered the world and God's shalom was broken. And so now they are to seek the shalom. I think it's safe to say shalom is, a, is in sort of an Old Testament version of praying for the kingdom of God to come and God's will to be done. Right? We'll, and we'll talk about that actually in a second. But... 
Ephesians, or the, the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer for your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Well, if God's kingdom comes and God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, wouldn't you say it would be a place that would be prosperous and there would be well-being and peace and wholeness and health and order and harmony? Yes, I, I think so. This is an Old Testament version of the New Testament, the kingdom to come. And so in this case, what they are to work for, what they are to pray for, what they are to seek in their corner of Babylon is to do all they can to ensure the world where they are is all the things God intended for it to be. And this would mean that their corner of Babylon where they lived, it would be a place where there was prosperity, there was well-being, there was peace, there was wholeness, there was health, there was order, and there was harmony. But notice why they're to do this. Verse 7. For in its prosperity and its shalom will be your shalom. There, as the city has this shalom, this prosperity, well-being, peace, wholeness, health, order, and harmony, so the people of Israel who live in Babylon, in this area of Babylon, they will also have shalom. I like how the the Christian Standard Bible translates this this verse. Pursue the well-being of the city where I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For when it thrives, you will thrive. Again, same word as well-being and thrive there. And when it thrives, you will thrive. So as we pray for Gaiman, we pray for the shalom of Gaiman. This gives us uh, four truths we can take from what it is to pray for Gaiman and to work for Gaiman. Ways that we can take this and why it would apply to us. One, Gaiman is where God has placed us. But like Queen Esther, we are here for such a time as this. We, we are not here by random chance and circumstance. We are here at this point in time, in this day and time, for God's will, for God's glory to accomplish His purpose. I think this is... True for us as individuals. This is true for us as a church. So Gaiman is where God has placed us. Since Gaiman is where God has placed us, we are to pursue the shalom of Gaiman. God intends for us to seek the shalom, the the prosperity, well-being, peace, wholeness, health, order, and harmony of Gaiman. Now, this probably isn't how we normally think of how the church is supposed to interact with the city in which it exists. Often churches write their cities off and try to establish their own little fortresses within the city. And yet this is not what God says to do. Rather than seeking our shalom here, our peace, prosperity, well-being, wholeness, health, order and harmony in the city, we are to seek the shalom of the city. Right? This is why we're here. Our part of our job as a church in Gaiman, is to pursue the the shalom, the prosperity, well-being, peace, wholeness, health, order, and harmony of Gaiman. We do this because when Gaiman thrives, the church thrives. Again, this is probably different than what we often think. I, I know it's different than the way I have often thought. And the picture from this passage seems to be that that as God blesses the city because of the, what the church is doing in the city, or what the people are doing in the city, that the prosperity or the shalom of the city will overflow into the shalom of 
the people. It seems to be a, a picture for our day of what happens in the city overflows into the church for good. And I think I think we would see this, I mean, for good and for bad, right? Are, are churches often a representative in some ways of the city to which they exist in? I mean, if, if, if a city is prosperous, isn't the church often prosperous? And if the city is poor and poverty stricken, isn't the church often poor and poverty stricken? And, and if a city is filled with hopelessness, aren't the churches there often filled with hopelessness as well? And, and if the city is filled with complacency, aren't the churches often complacent as well? And if the, the city is apathetic, isn't the churches often apathetic as well. And so typically what we think is we say, God, bless our church and then we'll go into the city and we'll bless the city. But what God says is seek the blessing of the city and through the blessing of the city, then you will be blessed. When Gaiman thrives, the church thrives. And then the last point here is prayer is one of the ways we seek the shalom of Gaiman. God specifically says, pray to it. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. Pray for your city. Seek the shalom of the city through prayer. Pray for God to cause His shalom, His peace, His well-being, His wholeness, health, prosperity, order, and harmony to flood through Gaiman. I'm asking you, how often... Do you specifically pray for Gaiman? Right? Not like people. And, and, and I know, of course, Gaiman is people. That's not what I'm saying. But you pray for Joe Johnson, who lives in Gaiman. Or you pray for Fred Thompson, who lives in Gaiman. I'm not asking about that. But how often do you pray for Gaiman? Lord, bless this city. Work in the hearts of the people in our community. How often do we pray specifically for Gaiman? Well, we see here this is something God wants us to do. Now, there are many ways we can do this. I've given you a list as an idea, a prayer list. I like lists. And so here are some ways to pray for our community, for our city. Pray for community leaders to have a, a sense of accountability to God. Humble acknowledgement of the need for wisdom, a relationship with God, and a desire for righteousness and integrity. Pray this for city council, for our police chief, for our judges, for our district attorney, for our fire chief, for the superintendent of schools, for our school board. Right? They have Those people have a lot of influence on the direction of the town. So we pray for them. Pray for the Texas County Memorial Hospital, the staff, and all the health care workers. Pray for Dan Stiles, the board, the staff, and the residents of, of Dunaway Manor as it cares for the, the elderly of our city. Pray for our teachers and our students and our local schools. Pray for God to grant peace and prosperity to Gaiman and for Jesus' influence to increase in Gaiman. Now, I'll talk some about this in a bit. So I'll wait till then. Pray any spirit of division, apathy, complacency, and pride 
would be destroyed for the, for the city. Right? Because, I mean, division, I mean, you think there's division. You think in the world, our, our world is really pretty divided. Well, Gaiman isn't exempt from that. Gaiman is a smaller cosmos that sees that. Our church, and we pray this for the churches. I mentioned praying for the other churches, but pray this for the other churches. Our church is really blessed. We have tremendous unity. But understand, every church in Gaiman doesn't have that. So pray that any spirit of division in this community, in the churches in Gaiman, would be pushed away, would be destroyed. Pray any, any spirit of apathy and complacency and pride would be destroyed. The community can't help but thrive and prosper when those things are gone. Pray for Satan's plans for Gaiman to fail. And I gave some passages there listed just to remember what Satan's plans might be. John 10 and 10, the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He, what he does out there, he certainly wants to do here in our community. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, Satan is the God of this world who blinds the minds of people so they don't see a need for Jesus. Uh, and again, I'll talk about that in just a second as well. But we, we definitely see that at work in this community. 2 Corinthians 10 and 5, that people have strongholds they have built in their minds that, that keep them from, that really kind of keep them safe from God to their way of thinking. They, these reasons why they reject Christianity. These reasons why they reject Jesus and the God of the Bible. Well, we saw Sunday in our study about the false prophet that there's doctrines of demons that, that flow throughout this world and deceive people. Where did these strongholds come from? Satan. Ephesians 2. 2 and 3. Satan is the God of this world who leads people along to a course of life that leads to their destruction. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12 speaks of evil spiritual powers at work in the world with the wiles of the devil and just spiritual hosts of wickedness. Pray evil spiritual powers would be prevented from hindering the work of Jesus in our community. Pray disciples of Jesus would have an ever-increasing burden for Gaiman. Pray for an unprecedented receptivity to the gospel across Gaiman. The gospel across Gaiman among all uh, people of all ages, ethnic backgrounds, and economic statuses. Now, let me camp here for just a second and go back to what some of the things I've already said. The gospel, we have all of these churches in Gaiman. Good churches, by and large. Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching churches. And they're all struggling to have people there. The gospel has not advanced in Gaiman in the 19 years I've been here. Not just in our church. In any church. The number of lost people in Gaiman is not shrinking it's growing. The way a church in Gaiman typically grows isn't through reaching lost people and seeing them born again. It is by becoming the popular church in town. 
And so disgruntled people from this church and disgruntled people from that church and, and unsettled people from this church, they go to that church because it's got the good music or it's got this going on and, and they swing over there and the church grows. But, but the gospel hasn't advanced. The number of lost people hasn't changed. And it's been that way since before I've been here. We desperately need there to be unprecedented receptivity to the gospel in our community. Pray people would be delivered from bondage to drugs, alcoholism, sexual addictions, homosexuality, any other form of immorality common in Gaiman, which is all common in Gaiman. Pray for loaves and fishes. Loaves and fishes needs all kinds of financial assistance. Pray God would provide it. Loaves and fishes, our church gives to it, our, our ministerial alliance gives to it. They feed somewhere around four or 5,000 families a month. That's a lot of folks going through one place. And, and, and there, of course, you say, well, those people game in the system. Uh, and there are. People game any system you have. You can't do anything about that. By and large, those 4,000 families that go through there, if they didn't have the food from loaves and fishes, they would do without. In our community, they would flat starve to death because they have no money for whatever reason to buy food. Pray for loaves and fishes. Pray for the Oaks of Mamre. Kind of a homeless shelter, halfway house in Guyman. I know at some points it's had a, a bad reputation for being rough. But it's a good place. It does good work. They too always are desperately in, in need of money. There are anywhere from 10 to 20 residents there at any one time. And those people, if they did not stay at the Oaks of Mamre, they would have nowhere to live and they would be homeless people on the streets of Gaiman. They give them a, an address so they can apply for jobs. They try to help them get up out of this poverty so they can get a job and get an apartment and get things going. It is a very, very good work. The board of the Oaks of Mamre labor intently to keep that place afloat. They do it for zero money themselves and an awful lot of stress on their lives. Pray all Bible, pray for all Bible believing, Jesus preaching churches in Gaiman. Right? Pray for them. Pray there would be unity in the churches and there would be unity with the church. And this isn't just in Gaiman, but American evangelicalism has largely been divided. We're free will Baptists, we're not Nazarenes, so we have nothing to do with them. But the world has changed. We legitimately cannot afford to have that kind of division among the churches in our community. That level of division, the churches in our community has produced what we're seeing now, which is not good. There needs to be unity. Our church, hopefully, will be a part of unprecedented gospel advance in Guyman. And we will see souls saved and lives changed and baptize many people in the next few years. But our church is not going to reach Guyman alone. And the Nazarene Church and Sunset Lane and New Life Church and the Methodist Church. None of these churches, none of us can do it alone. The churches must have the ability to work together for the common good to advance the gospel in Gaiman. If 
Advancing the gospel in Gaiman and to the ends of the earth is more important than any one local church. We must have unity. Pray God's word over Gaiman. And I just want to give you a couple of examples. God's word over Gaiman. Psalm 33, 8. Let the earth fear the Lord and all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. You could change that to Gaiman. Let let all of Gaiman fear the Lord and the inhabitants of Gaiman stand in awe of him. What would... How different would our community be if all the inhabitants of Gaiman feared the Lord and stood in awe of Him? Or Matthew 6.10 Your kingdom come, your will be done in Gaiman as it is in heaven. How different would Gaiman be if the kingdom of God broke in and God's will was being done on a regular basis like that? Pray things like that. One more I want to show you. Turn to Psalm 24. I don't know what page that is if you have a pew Bible. I forgot to put it in my notes. Psalm 24 is a passage I've been praying for Gaiman for the last couple of weeks. I pray it. I think I've prayed it once a week for the last several weeks. I just kind of want to show you how to do it because these two verses are great. But we can pray the longer passages with it as well. So Psalm 24 the earth is the Lord and all it contains, the world and those who live in it. For he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? One who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to deceit, who has not sworn deceitfully. He will have a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates, and be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, and lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of armies. He is the King of glory. So if you pray this psalm for God, and you, the way I, would, the way I do it is, some, is like this. Verses 1 and 2, the earth is the Lord's. That means Gaiman. Gaiman belongs to the Lord. So we pray for God's reign in Gaiman to be made visible as he claims and redeems and sanctifies people through his churches. Verse 3. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? It speaks of being with God. Well, pray for God to make the people of Gaiman think about eternity. What happens when they die? Make them ask and ask the question, will I truly be with God when this life is over? Verse 4, well, who will be only those who have clean hands? So we pray for God to make the people of Gaiman aware of their sin and really the dirtiness of it all. Cause them to think about the uncleanness of their sin when they see the dirt on their hands. And as they go to wash them, make them wonder, how can I be clean? But also those who have a pure heart. So as they continually find dirt in their life, make them start to realize sin is more than something they do. It's a part of who they are because it flows from the desires of their hearts. We pray for God to cause them to realize they can't cleanse themselves and they can't make themselves clean. And so make them start to wonder what needs to be done to cleanse them. And who has not lifted up his soul to deceit, nor sworn deceitfully. In a lot of ways, that speaks of worship of idols. 
And many in Gaiman trust in things that are not God for their salvation. They are assumed they're okay because they're Americans or they're good people as they define goodness. Or because they don't worship false gods or because they're spiritual or because they don't believe in any God at all. But whatever the case, they have in some ways lifted up their souls to vanity and to deceit. So we pray for God to break down their sense of personal righteousness. We pray for God to cause their worldview, which is which is the basis for why they think they're righteous apart from Jesus, to collapse around them as they begin to wonder if what they're trusting in is a lie. Verse 5, he will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. We pray for God to cause the people of Gaiman to realize how good God's been to them in their lives. Make them to realize every good and perfect give they have came down from the Father of lights. Make the people wonder why their lives are so good. This is a, a great time to pray this prayer. Life all over is really pretty miserable around us. Things in Louisiana are bad. The flooding in Tennessee is bad. The situation in Haiti is bad. The situation in Afghanistan is bad. And all over the world there's bad and bad and bad and bad. But we, why is our life so good? Why do we have so much when everybody else has so little? Why is there beauty and goodness in the world? Pray for God to make them understand that all... But this is merely a reflection of the goodness of God, the beauty of God and God's love for sinful humanity. Verse six, this is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Even Jacob, we pray God would do all of these things so people would begin to seek him. They would seek him for salvation and for righteousness. They would seek him for his greatness and his goodness. They will seek to know more about the great and the awesome God who has done so much for them. And then verse 7 through 10 talks about the, the gates being lifted up so the Lord can go in. We pray for God and His Spirit and His Word to work together to break down strongholds in people's minds. That they have placed over their minds to protect them from the knowledge of God. We, call, we pray for God's Spirit to work through God's Word and lift up these gates so the King of glory can go in. So their hearts and their minds, they would hear the word, they would receive the word, and, and their thoughts would be brought captive to the obedience of Christ. We pray for the, again, we pray for the whole city, for God to do this among all people in our community. And so we could take this idea of praying this way for God, and we could take it with any of the Psalms. If you pray the Psalms every day, every Psalm could be prayed in some ways like this. So pray God's word over this town. So what I want to do is to take a few minutes and for us to, to do this now. Pick a few of these requests, maybe a psalm that you want to pray for, what we've just talked about, and, and pray for our community. Pray for God.
Father, we love you today. You are wonderful. Father, we are thankful for for what you've done in allowing us to live here. Lord, in this town where there is there is so many things that aren't as they should be. Lord, when we look at the world, Gaiman is so very blessed and the things that that aren't going on here that may be going on in other places. Father, we love our town and we love the people of our town and we pray that you would you would bless it. Your shalom would reign in this town. That you would guide our city councilmen to make good and godly decisions, give them wisdom as they seek to do what needs to be done for the, the betterment of our community. Guard their hearts from covetousness so they would not make decisions that prosper them at the expense of the good of the town. We do pray that you would begin to open hearts and minds to your word and to the gospel. That we could see in in Gaiman unprecedented gospel advance in the next couple of years. Father, we read in the book of Acts, the gospel spread in Ephesus to such an extent idol makers were losing jobs, going out of business. And they feared. They feared what was going on through the church. They feared what you were doing in that town. Do that here, Lord. Let the gospel advance to such an extent those who profit from human slavery to sin are put out of business. Let the gospel advance so rapidly in Gaiman. Those who profit from human slavery to sin would flee the town for fear they would be converted to Christianity because everyone's turning to Jesus here. Cause people to think about eternity. Make them wonder, am I really going to be with God when this world is over? Let them turn to Disciples of Jesus who would open the word and show them the truth. They might be saved. Father, let your kingdom come and let your will be done in Gaiman. As it will be done in heaven, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In order to consistently pray for Gaiman, we need to be burdened for Gaiman. Turn to Joel 1 and 13. Joel 1 and 13 says, Put on sackcloth and mourn, you priests. Wail, you ministers of the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, you ministers of my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering has been withheld from the house of your God. Essentially, Joel, as as many of the prophets did, he prophesied at a time when Israel was in rebellion and they were facing the judgment of God and and, and God's word to Joel and for the priest and for the people is to mourn, to mourn. And it's a deep word for mourn. It it, it really pictures lament, deeply mourn over the people. And as they do it, they're to to wail before the altar. They're to spend the night in sackcloth, crying out to God. Express this deep grief 
for the sins and the destruction of their people. Like Joel, the people here, we too should lament. We should deeply mourn over the people of Gaiman. Right? Because people in Gaiman are enslaved to sin. We all know people right here who are destroying their lives to sin. It could be through drunkenness or sex or drugs or any number of other sinful choices. They could be our friends, our family members, our co-workers, our neighbors, the, the parents of our children's friends or our children's friends. But we know people. I am confident every one of us tonight can think of people here, right here in our town, who are destroying their lives through these sinful choices. And according to Jesus, this is a spiritual problem, right? He said, truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Whenever someone's life is characterized by sin, they are a slave to sin and only Jesus can set them free. Not only are people enslaved to sin, people are deceived by the devil. Gaiman has a virtual potpourri of religious activity and expressions. Think, for example, of all the the many immigrants and refugees we have in Gaiman. Nearly all of these groups bring their own unique religious expression that ranges from Buddhism to Islam to voodoo to Santeria. And these are just the ones I'm familiar with, with what goes on here. Then there is what I would call the, the general and growing irreligion of Gaiman. As, as I said, the gospel has not advanced in Gaiman in, in the time I've been here and before. So with a town of less than 12,000 or around 12,000 people, there are 2,000 people or less in evangelical churches in Gaiman. That is a terribly small percentage of people who go to a Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church. And like every community in sort of the, the South and the Bible Belt area of the world, Gaiman has large numbers of people who would say they're a member of a certain church. They are nominally attached to that church, but they don't set foot in it. And they haven't in years. So they're, they profess faith in Jesus. They have no real connection to the body of Christ. Now, again, being raised in our area where we've been raised, we don't see as much of a problem with this. But in the Bible, do you know in the Bible there were no conversions where the people didn't join and stay active in the church? In fact, some of the cases in Acts when it talked about people being saved, the way it described their salvation was they joined with the church. In fact, in one place in the Apostle John's writings, in 1 John, when he talks about people abandoning Jesus, he says it this way, they left us, the churches, because they were never really a part of us. And what he was saying was, their leaving the church was a sign they were never really disciples of Jesus to begin with. This is not new in Gaiman. This has gone on as long as I've been here. And in talking to people who've lived here longer than me, it has always gone on. And there is a general resistance to the gospel in our community. People here have been inoculated with a, a weak Gospel, and so they 
believe they're saved, despite all the physical evidence in their life to the contrary. Then in conversations the last couple of years with different people who work with the youth in our community more than I do, there is a growing interest in the occult in the youth of Gaiman. I don't know how common it is or how serious it is, but there is a growing number of young people who are dabbling in the occult and in witchcraft. So you have all the religions of the world here. You have nominal Christianity, which is not Christianity here. You have occultism and witchcraft here. So I say deceived by the devil. Because for every person in the world who does not see their need for Jesus, they are in some way deceived by the devil. God's word is clear. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they will not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Anyone who doesn't see their need for Jesus is blinded by Satan. They are perishing. And then people are beat down by the cares of life. Life can be hard. Sometimes life is hard because people make bad decisions. We've all made bad decisions that made our lives harder than they had to be. Some people seem to do this at more epic level than others, but we've all been there in one way or another. Sometimes life is hard because other people make bad decisions. And their bad decisions affect us in one way or another. Sometimes life is hard because we see the bad decisions others are making and we know the end result of these bad decisions and our hearts ache for them. Psalmist said, my soul has had enough troubles. My life has approached Sheol or the grave. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit, become like a man without strength, abandoned above the dead, the slain who lie in the grave, whom you no longer remember, and they are cut off from your hand. We all know someone who feels like that. Maybe we are the ones who feel like that. And these things are constant in our community. They're all around us. Those who are enslaved by sin. Those who are deceived by the devil. Those who are beat down by the cares of life. People we know. People we love. People we interact with on a regular basis. Are in these categories. Knowing this. Should lead us to mourn. To lament. To pray for our town. Look over at Joel 2.17. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance a disgrace. The nations jeering at them. Why should those among the people say, where is their God? Judgment's coming and it's it's going to be really bad. So what we see here is... A call to be intercessors. And I like the image of to stand between the altar and the porch. If you know much about the, the Old Testament temple and the way it was set up, the altar was where the sacrifices were made. And, and in some ways it was seen that's where the presence of God was. And in the porch is where the people came. And they stood so they could make those sacrifices. And the priests, the Lord's ministers, are to stand between the two. Between 
The sinful people who are rebelling against God and the God who is righteously angry at those sinful people. And as they stand between them, they are to cry out for God to spare the people, for God to be merciful and to show mercy to them and and not to give them what they so righteously deserve. What a picture of what we're supposed to be. If we have the burden for the people of our community as we should, that's kind of how we'll see ourselves. Standing between an an angry God, a righteously angry God, and a sinful people who have earned that anger and saying, Oh God, give them more time. Oh God, be merciful. Spare today. Free them from their slavery to sin. Free them from the devil's deceptions. Free them from their troubles. This is how we ought to pray. Sort of sense of desperation, concern. And if we feel this, we won't be able to help but pray for our community. So let's take some time right now and let's let's pray in this way for our town. Father, we come today like Moses with Israel and Abraham with Sodom. We stand before you and we plead for the people of our town. We plead for Gaiman. We plead you would be merciful. And your mercy would continue and your long suffering would not run out. We know from your word, Father, you are eager not to punish sinners, but to save. So, God, we we cry out for mercy. As we look at our community, people we know and love, we know, Father. We know they're selling themselves into sin. We know they're selling themselves to believe all manner of False ideas that are keeping them from you. But still we plead for mercy, Father. Father, be merciful to let your gospel run through our community and make a difference. Be merciful to pour out your spirit upon your churches. And let us go out into the community to make a difference. Be merciful. Father, to spare and withhold your judgment. To give people more time to hear the gospel. Give them other chances to respond to the gospel so they might be saved. Be merciful to God and Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at Joel 2, verse 21. I'll just cover this quickly.
Do not fear, land. Shout for joy and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, animals of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have turned green. For the tree has produced its fruit. The fig tree and the vine have yielded in full. Shout for joy, you sons of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For He has given you the early rain for your vindication. And He has brought down for you the rain. The early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors will be full of grain. The vats will overflow with the new wine and the oil. Then I will compensate you for the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the creeping locusts, the stripping locusts, the gnawing locusts, my great army which I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied. You will praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. So you will know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. And my people will never be put to shame. Well, the situation is bad. It is not hopeless. God has great promises for those who repent and who turn to Him. We don't leave here tonight fearful or sad in the wrong ways. We leave here rejoicing in the goodness, the faithfulness, and the greatness of our God. We rejoice in the mercy. Verse 25, I will compensate, or some translations say restore, in the image of They've had all of these years that things were bad. God is going to make up for it. He's going to make it so good it will be as those are forgotten. The bad years are. God restores. He can restore what's been lost. He can fix what has gone wrong. He can repair whatever has been broken. No matter what is going on in our community, God can fix it. Whatever has been done, God can undo it. Whatever has been broken, God can fix. God is able. And our, our knowledge of that, it causes us to pray with a burden, but pray expectantly, pray hopefully, believing our God is far greater than the God of this world who has wrecked havoc among the hearts and the lives of the people of our community. All right, let me pray. And we'll close and then we'll have our take prayer requests.